0: So I'm going to, yeah, last time, I, you know, whenever you, somebody preaches, hopefully they always try and pick up the heart of God for what, what, God, what does God want to say. And so preparing for this, I don't think of, oh, what's a good preach? They so went afterwards to everyone and say, well done, that was so good. I'm way over those years. Um, I'm, I really come into, when I'm preparing something, Lord, what, are, what do your people need to hear? This group of people, what do they need to hear? Because it may be different to that, that group over there. And so you've always got to be prophetic Preachers and pick up the heart of God. Not that you prophesy over people, but picking up the heart of God for where this bunch of people, a part of His bride, part of His army, is at, and where do, what do they need to hear in order to go further? And I try and always visualize what will be the outcome, what will be the end of, the, what will be the result, what will be, what's the call that will go out at the end for people to respond to? Because we've got to respond to God. We are we're just the messenger boys. We're just bringing His heart and His Dream over us and his vision over us. And God is so passionate about us. He really is. He, you know, he dreams about us. He dreams about our lives. What are we, how are we going to be in him? Any dreams and passions that you've got should be given by God. Um, not about, it's not about you and the dream that you have for your life and your career. Because that is so fleeting. It's over so quickly, your career and your, on the, and your time on this earth. It's more. Thanks. It's more about, God, how do I fit into your plans and purposes? And I'm, I am going to continue sort of the military theme, if you don't mind, because that's what I began with. So I, I do sometimes speak up, use military terms and, and that type of thing, because um, it does help the Bride of Christ, and, and the Bride of Christ is sometimes referred to as a bride in army boots. And uh, she is called to be militant and to, and to advance the kingdom of God, and not in a physical way, not in an aggressive way. And sometimes it's hard for for some people who are pacifists, who not aggressive, to find out, well, how do, I, how do I advance the kingdom? And how do I be violent towards the enemies of God and, and who are the enemies of God? And so don't be a pacifist in this because the, you, you, you're up against a very vicious enemy. He doesn't play games. He, doesn't, he's not, he, he won't go into a neutral corner and you can have a, a, a neutral agreement with him. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. That's not how he works, Okay. I love history, I read up a lot on history, and this world is extremely violent, physically. It has always been. Even God, and you look in the Old Testament, it was quite violent, it was quite aggressive, and it was quite black and white in terms of how God dealt with things, because in the Old Testament we get the heart of God, how He views sin, how He views His enemies, and sometimes under grace, and we know there's extreme messages that are out at the moment that we're contending with. Uh, you get a, a false grace now because the word grace incorporates mercy and incorporates power. Because the grace of God does cover mercy. He's a very merciful God. He's slow to anger, abounding in love, patient with us, that no man would, would perish, that all would come to know him. We know this. But there's a side to God where he has, there's the wrath side of God as well. And Romans says, Consider the, the um, kindness and sternness of God in leading us to salvation. So sometimes we mistake God's grace and His mercy for Him tolerating sin. Because He's so patient, because you put your foot over the line you think, nothing happened. Oh, maybe I'll put both feet over. It doesn't mean that God's ignoring your sin. just He's so patient and so loving that He's slow to anger. He, he wants you to change and to turn. There's one scripture in Ezekiel um, where he, he says to Israel, Israel, why? Why do you... Why do you persevere in your sin? Like he can't understand. Why do you choose death? He says in Ezekiel, I think it's 33, somewhere around there. Why do you choose death, Israel? And almost like when I read that scripture, I get so, almost you can get into God's heart. Like he's like appealing to them, I don't understand you. Why would you choose death? It's not my way. This is the way of life. God is always the way of life, He's always the way of freedom. And if you choose to go against Him, there will come a time. We know at the end of. At the age, um, Lee touched on it, and i mean, 'm looking forward to the end of the age. I really am i 've been saved forty three years now when I first got saved, we kept thinking the rapture was going to take place. We believed in the rapture in those days. So I do believe in the second coming of Jesus, maybe not the rapture, um, but I do believe the second coming of jesus he 's coming for his bride, and we should live in a sense of excitement and, and expectancy that he could come because no man knows the time or hour. I know there 's a whole controversy in America where people are predicting the dates again, they do this. They've been doing it for, for my whole 43 years have been saved, they've been predicting when Jesus is coming back, and somehow he never pitches up on their dates, Um, and, but to live in a position of readiness, of waiting for what God is going to do, so it's a very rough world out there. Emotionally, uh, people are dealing with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, for all kinds of things, from, from during the COVID times, through, through whatever, experiences people are happening in their lives people are, are it's a stressful world you know one of the things that we're going to really experience in eternity peace 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 because he is the king of peace he brought peace to us and we can walk in peace in this time but there's so much sin around this world is so corrupted there's so much messed up stuff in this world that we we we're walking as god's people full of hope and full of his peace but yet we're going to experience it on another level in eternity. And we've got to prepare God's people as leaders for this world. Because I've seen too many people fall away over the years. Too many. I've seen many come through. And I've often watched and learned from their lives. How did they make it? What was, what was the key factors that they locked onto Jesus and came through? What brought them through? I, I'm, I get so angry with the enemy the way he, he destroys people's lives often just through false teachings, false foundations, bad understanding, um, didn't come with their all. They just came, there's so many different factors for why people don't make it. But I want to prepare people for like the worst case scenario. You've got to be prepared for that because it's, it's, it, is a, it is a very angry, rough, bumpy world. From all, and I've seen the fruits of it over the years. And in my... Um, Let's read. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14 to 16. 2 Corinthians 2. But thanks be to God who always leads us in a triumphal procession in Christ and through us, through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing to both groups of people. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. Who is equal to such a task? Isn't that beautiful? Through us, he spreads that aroma. Wherever you go, the aroma, the fragrance of Christ, it goes. Wherever you go, wherever you put your foot, Jesus is with you, and the Holy Spirit is in you, taking you, and the presence of God should be coming out of your life. If it isn't, there could be reasons why. Because people can be born again, but not give off a fragrance of God through, for various reasons. I'm going to maybe look at some of them tonight got to know that the battlefield is dangerous and and even in Paul's time it was it was a it was a he had a very tough in fact all the apostles had a very rough life um, but the great thing is that he's continuously leading us in triumph it's an ongoing process even now we are being led in triumph there's a, a victory sound that we have to us as God's people we can't live in the victory of what Jesus paid for and brought for us on the cross we can't live there we don't have to give in to the things of this world and be, be broken through the things of this world. And I love the heroes of the faith and even those amongst us who are living this out in reality in their lives. Um, Luke 21, 10 to 19. Then he said to them, Jesus speaking, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, Russia against Ukraine, all the countries... Somalia, Sudan, there will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But, but before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. Not lay hands in a good way. Um, they will deliver you to synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors and, and all on account of my name. This will result in you being witnesses to them. But make up your mind, make up your mind, Make up your mind, not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. So he warns us. Jesus spent a lot of time warning. Paul spent a lot of time warning. And I want to spend tonight bringing warning all the time to the people of God to be alert. Know that we are loved. Know that we have the power of God within us. We can live victorious lives. But we're at war. And God's looking for a people who will bring that fragrance. Those who will not falter. Those who are not given to the things of this world that will cause that fragrance to die out. And for them not to smell beautiful as Jesus smells. So make up your mind tonight. Make up your mind not to defend. That you'll rely on the Spirit, that you'll keep in step with His Spirit. Be armed with the Word of God. Armed with the Spirit, armed with the knowledge of who you are in Christ Jesus. Who are you? You're in Jesus. You belong to Him. You're so safe. Nothing can come near you. Nothing can harm you. People can t- attack you in your, li- in your physical life. I was just telling Clarence before the meeting, he was telling me a story, but I can remember a taxi driver, nice relevant story, up in, up in KZN, and I was a young man, and I had a, a work altercation with a taxi driver. His name was Big Ben. He died. You can, you can Google him. He put his hand on his gun. He looked at me, and Jenny was standing, where were you standing, sort of next to me, my, my workers all sort of taking cover, and use derogatory word about himself, he said us, and used the K word towards himself, don't believe in your white man's court, I'll just shoot you. So, being young and foolish, I sort of said go for it, and, uh, but nothing came of that, because um, I've, I've been through many situations like this in my life, over in, I worked in factories and came up against many dangerous situations, surrounded by 50 guys, you know, who wanted to elim- eliminate me. And I learned just God gives me wisdom sometimes what to do, and so I, I, I'm not a retreater. The Americans, Americans never retreat; they advance to the rear. So <laughs> it's good psychology. <laughs> so I advanced on these 50 guys because they expected me to run. So I advanced on them and started getting. I've learned how to do crowd control. And I've had to do it many times to save my life. And they backed down because they didn't know what to do. I wasn't going according to plan. So God gives you wisdom. And I'm using practical real-life examples because this is stuff we've got to face in the real-life world. You could have to face a gun one day. This is the world we live in. There's 70 murders per day in South Africa. I know of a lot of friends in the life of our church whose parents have been murdered in this country. It's a part of life, and you've got to brace yourselves. How would I react? Make up your mind beforehand. How are you going to respond? Are you going to hate another racial group? Are you going to hate another culture? Are you going to get angry and bitter towards God because something happened bad in your life? Prepare yourselves for that question. Prepare yourselves, you, because these things happen. Jesus prepared his disciples for the worst. He said, "This is going to happen. They're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to put you in jail. Things are going to happen." He didn't say, man, you're just going to proclaim my name and and just advance and be prosperous and healthy and wealthy and and all these things. He prepared them to face up. So when the time came, they were ready. And they lived lives. They glorified God. As a young man, my racial group, and Jenny doesn't like me sharing the story, but I have been arrested and put in jail for associating with black people. Um, But I was in the defense force for four years. I was a helicopter technician. And I was called up to a particular operation. You can also Googleable. Um It was the biggest air attack South Africa had ever done in those days. It was a border war. We were fighting into Angola. And when I arrived at the base, they they, they prepared for this operation. Because you don't go into battle without preparing. They'd come and interviewed me before. They said, you got a specialist skill on this, on the Puma helicopter? Yes, okay. Just, just made notes and everything was prepared. And, and the battle came together and lasted two weeks. Everything arrived at, at one moment for this battle. And as I arrived at the, at the air base in Namibia, northern Namibia, there was a friend of mine who I hadn't seen for quite a while. He'd become a pilot on the helicopters that I was working on. And I greeted him, his father's chief of the Air Force. And, we, and he was waiting to get on the plane and go back to South Africa. They were pulling guys back and bringing in fresh troops for this operation. Five months later he was shot down in Angola with the other guys and the whole helicopter crashed and they were killed. And the first day they called us in for briefing. They said, our radar can only pick up the enemy's uh, MiGs, MiG-7, MiG-21s, uh, seven minutes from our base. So we've got seven minutes. We'll have two planes with pilots sitting in them permanently for two weeks. Turn every two hours. They t- change to get out, to get in. Plugged in, 45 seconds, they've got to be in the air. At night, the guns would fire, the whole camp would rock, and I'd just become born again, and the guys used to mock me in South Africa for my, my walk with the Lord. And, and at night, the guy next to me got hit by one of our own rockets and sliced open all his stomach out. Um, and at night, they'd come gather on my bed to ask me, "What am I reading?" But before they'd mock me in South Africa. Tell us all fairy tales that you're reading there. But when the chips are down. And, when I walk through, the, when we see a helicopter come in and it's in the wreckage, Alouette gunship, shot down, pilot through the head, there's the, we saw the guy's shoe and his foot lying in the wreckage. You lost this war. And back, and it's like, you watch Vietnam movies. And most of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Might be one or two here. Because the shock as a young man going to this was, we're at war. And back home, we're just having parties and I've just come from a church where we're just worshiping God and singing songs. And this is war. And that helped me and understand the spiritual war. Thanks. Could I just open it as well? It is open. I oh, thank you so much. You know, helping to understand spiritual warfare. Sorry, why we we've operated so much in spiritual warfare? I know I come across as quite a passive guy, but I'm aggressive in the things of the spirit because I hate seeing what the enemy does to people's lives and hate seeing the church just going nowhere. You know. Worship is wonderful. We're gonna go into worship now. And I love worship. But last night we went to our 50th birthday and ended up a worship party. You know, it was amazing. I love worship, singing in song, but Jesus said they will worship me in spirit and truth. Are you worshiping God in spirit and truth? Because it's easy to sing songs, but what happens when the chips are down? When you've got a face and goes to the real world, and people come to you with real problems, and things are really happening, how do you face them? Are, you, are we able to be that fragrance that God wants us to be in the lost and dying world? Or, no, that's, I don't want to know about that problem, I also going to go and worship Jesus on Sunday and just, and just have cappuccinos, which is wonderful. And just a nice story to finish off, I don't know if I shared this at the camp, but we used to work in Tamib- to Namibia a lot over the, over the years, and One of the pastors there, Emmanuel, he was a vambu, which is the biggest tribe up in the north. And he's a lovely guy. We were good friends, still are good friends. And a few years back, I can't remember when we were there, and he said, somehow it came up that we had been in the defense force on on the opposite sides. We were enemies. He said, I remember your helicopters. I remember we were lying in the bush, and the one was circling us with a 20 millimeter out the door. And my friend panicked, and he put his AK and shot himself. And he got up, he reached across the table and shook my hand. But it's over. It's finished. We love the Lord now, we are. We're brothers. It's crazy, you think about it, hey? It's probably the Second World War, Germans against British Americans. I must have been born-again Christians on both sides. It's weird. How do you explain it? But we've got to understand that we are an army, and we call called to fight. Fight. You've got to fight for yourself, because Paul said, having to preach to others, I've got to make sure myself am Okay. Because it's very easy to tell other people how to live, but are you living it yourself? So we've got to prepare here. Tonight's an equipping time. Tonight I want to be a releasing time at the end where I want God to really come. If there's things in your life that God needs to burn out and, and kill so that you can be effective. You can't go into battle if, you, if there's still things that you're wrestling with. I believe God wants you to destroy things in people's lives today. Marco, do you, where's Marco? I saw you earlier. Do you remember Emmanuel? We went, you came with us and. To Namibia, we must. We went to his church in Sockopond. But we've got to kill things in the spirit. We've got to tonight. I believe God wants to destroy things that has been holding you. And I'll look a little bit at Israel. Hopefully, their journey, if I can get there. Did we read two Corinthians four? I don't think we did. Seven to twelve. Have you got that for me? I might have. Of- Jump to Scripture. 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 7 to 12. Okay, let me read it. You got it. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm a I'm a jar of clay, it's very weak and. Just held together to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that, here, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work enough, but life is at work in you. we jars of clay. I don't know about you, but I feel like a jar of clay most days. Like, Lord, I can't believe it's so much, you've given us so much of yourself. But yet we want to portray Christ. We want to die to self that Christ can come and live through us. The most important thing is heart's change towards God. You can have, and I love miracles. I was talking to Tom earlier about miracles. And man, I love miracles. The stories we're hearing, fantastic. But the greatest miracles are born again, changed life for Jesus. He's totally surrendered, totally giving out the fragrance of God. And God's been glorified through this person's life. That's going into battle. Is when your life, you won't even have to speak sometimes. Sometimes it's the presence that you carry with you will be enough to convict people. My first salvation was my best friend Earl, and uh, Earl was a naughty guy. He got his girlfriend pregnant at 15, and, and uh, yeah, they got they got married eventually. And uh, but he, I just got saved, and, and we went for a walk down the street, and and we were going about, We were going shopping for shoes, I think it was. And we got back, and he said, "Man, there was something flowing out of you into my life." And I, I, I'm just trying to use the right words now. Many years ago. He said, What is that? And so I said, I didn't Really nice. It must be the Holy Spirit, you know, convicting you. So he said, What must I do? So I said, We've got to give your life to Jesus. How do I do that? I said, Well, let's come, just go down on our knees and, and you give your life to Jesus. So he did. So, you know, I was just thinking about shoes. I wasn't thinking about convicting <laughs> Earl. And he got born again in the process. So you don't realize what you're carrying around in you. You have no idea. When you walk into a room, you're so aware of yourself. I say teenagers, when they walk into a room, think that everybody's looking at them. I hope we all grow out of that. Very self-conscious. Meantime, no one's looking at them. Maybe they are. But whenever you go, wherever you set your foot, do you realize you're taking the presence of God with you? But to the degree that you allow Him to flow out of your life and to be that fragrance. Jesus, even Luke 22, 39, 40, to his disciples, when he was going up to pray, he says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. We were there four years ago, Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Have you ever prayed that? Lord, God, let me fall into temptation. Because temptation is all around you. It could be sexual, it could be career, it could be power. Um, could be so many things that could tempt you away from God that your life doesn't reflect Jesus. Pray that you'll not fall into temptation. I pray that all the time. Lord, keep me safe. Make me wise. Give me eyes to see. I don't want to fall into the enemy's traps. He's setting traps up all over the place. He's plotting and planning about your life all the time. As much as God is dreaming over you and God's got a plan for you, the enemy's got a plan for you as well. That you will fail as a Christian. That you won't make it. That your life will just be sucking air and reading the Bible and doing the you know the good thing, going to church on Sundays, and but you don't really count for him. He hasn't really been ruling and got lordship in your life. Pray that you not fall to temptation, the comforts of this world. One of our biggest temptations as Western type Christians or whatever you want to call them is comfort. Life can be very comfortable. And people try to make their lives as comfortable as possible in the comfort of your own home is the advertising slogans. We'll come to you in the comfort of your own home. You know, when you speak to people about uh, load shedding, the first thing is, now we've got batteries for our TV. That's, so that, is that your priority, that your TV works? You know? Just sometimes I want to scramble mindsets tonight. I want to scramble understanding of what it means to be a radical, normal Christian. Because God wants to stir us up, we've got so limited time to serve Him and to see His kingdom advance through our lives. We've got to be those who report for battle. It's no good just parading. I mean, we did parades in the defence force. You dress up and you parade up and down and you march and you salute and yeah, you know. But if that all the army does ever is that, they useless army. The army is. We've got a defence force today. They have a purpose: is to defend and to attack, maybe. They battle trained, they battle they hardened, they, they, they trained in what to do in terms of warfare. Leave behind the world, this world and fall in love with Jesus. I want to look at Exodus, it's supposed to be quickly, but um, I haven't got much time. So I want to look at Exodus, uh, the, the Jews leaving good old Egypt. Imagine being an Egyptian. You ever thought about that? You like the bad guys forever. Uh, everyone's got to leave you and come out of Egypt and, yeah. But next is 12. I was looking at some keys that, they, that the, the, the Israelites had there. We know we're skip out all the plagues. They, they went through all the plagues and, you know, let my people go. Uh, God, uh, there was an appeal to Pharaoh, let my people go. They'd been slaves for 430 years in Egypt, and life was miserable. They wanted out of there. And Egypt, uh, Israel was funny because they'd be so up and down. God blessed them. Oh, they worshiped God, you know. And then, then, they, then they started drifting from God. The minute they were been blessed, guess what? They all started messing around, sin into the camp. Then they go crashing down. God lifts his hand off them. Down they go. That was, like was like a roller coaster. They invented the roller coaster. And then they hit the bottom. And then they cried to God. And God said, oh, I'm so merciful and loving. I'll pick you up again. And the journey of Israel was up and down and up and down all the time, you know. Because you see, even here when they left Egypt, it was, get us out of here. And when they get out of there, they're like, no, Egypt wasn't so bad after all. Take us back, you know. Um, but then we look at some of the scriptures and in, 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 I'm just going to jump around through um, Exodus 12, 13, and 14 quickly. Just highlight some scriptures. I haven't got time to go into all of it. We're running out of time, as I said. But they lived in a state of readiness, Exodus 12, 11. God, God said to Israel, through Moses, is get the, tell the people to be ready. And to, you know, the, 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 it was the Passover, where the Passover originated, where they put blood on the, on the door, and they had to kill a lamb, and uh, they had to have unleavened bread. I went and looked up bread and how to make bread. I wasn't very familiar with all this. And uh, how much yeast do you need to make bread? Anybody know? Between one and one and a half percent. I don't know about all that. But they don't have grams, and it's one and a half percent, roughly. Okay, for yeast. What does yeast do? It eats because bread is made from wheat, and it's got starch, and it's got, and, the, and so the the yeast attacks the the sugars in the starch and creates carbon dioxide, and that gas puffs the bread up. It takes quite. It's quite a process, though. But if you don't have yeast, you'll have flat bread. That's what they use for, all their feasts, and so there's lots of different v- variations of flat bread. So they were told to not put the yeast in their bread because it would take too long and if God said go now it'll be too they couldn't they know we got to look we got to watch the bread it's busy rising we have got to wait so God said no. you just mix the dough and the water no yeast anyone anyone who touches the puts yeast will be cut off from his people imagine that just making bread and you put you know yeast now you're out but God was very black and white in his ways in the Old Testament. Make a point. He does not tolerate sin. He doesn't tolerate it. Don't get the wrong impression of God's grace and his mercy. Um, and I'll show you some. Yeah. So they, they were told to live with their cloaks tucked in their belts, sandals on, staff ready, and um, that we're ready to go in haste. The words haste. This is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked in your bread, belt, your sandals on your feet. as the meat that to eat, not the bread here. Yeah. They were told to cook the meat and how to do it, all the detail of that. Um, and your staff in hand, yeah, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So be quick about it because he's going to say go any moment. And he came at midnight and killed all the firstborn of the Egyptians. It sounds rough, eh? Imagine that. And many people would say, but if I was God, I wouldn't kill little children and babies. You're not God. Don't judge him. Be careful of judging God through your humanism, and we're having a lot of that right now. Where people are judging God by humanistic values. God is not as afraid of death, of physical death. We think it's the ultimate failure for someone to die and go to heaven. Paul says, "Man, I want to go to heaven. I'm not staying here for your sake. I want to. I'm out. Up to me. I'm out of here." I know when I I went through COVID about two, three years ago, and they said you're going to die. I was quite happy here. I mean, let's go. Let's do this. Imagine, who would want to be cold? It's winter. It's raining. You know, hungry. You've got to fast now. Uh, Yay, victory. In heaven, you don't have to do that. You don't get sore. You don't get aches and pains. You don't have to have healing. There'll be no more tears. No more misery. All the temptation will be gone. That's heaven. It's great. Where we are going is so glorious. You have no idea what God has prepared. The Bible says no man has seen or eye can comprehend what God has prepared for those who love him. This is not heaven. This is a broken, corrupt earth. Don't get attached to it. Don't. Don't settle down. I love that picture. I don't know if I've used it here before, but it's from Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. So imagine getting on a flight to Joburg, you know, Cape Town is just over two hours. And you put up your curtains and on the windows and little big screen TV and coffee machine and settle down, all, you know, everything. The like guy'll say, What are you doing? It's like a two hour flight. Why are you settling down? And that's what we do in this earth. We settle down and we get comfortable. And God says, No, people have to hear about my name. People need to see how to live. Obedience 12, verse 24. Thank you. To obey is better than sacrifice. God wants obedience. These are these are tools that Israel was given to get victory, and and one of the victories is obedience to God. If God says, I believe, I felt prophetically this afternoon. I've been praying for you guys this whole weekend, and it's Friday, and I feel God wants some of you to cut things off, just cut them off, stop messing around. They're holding you back in your journey with them. Just get rid of them. Whatever it is, I don't know, I'm using very broad terminology. But God has highlighted things to you. And you need to just destroy them. Just be obedient. Just walk away. There's some things that God is speaking in your hearts and in your lives. That, and it could be a number of things and a number of different issues. But God says, just be obedient. It's holding you back from walking and you're growing in your relationship with Him. In 12 verse 19, he speaks about, I mentioned, cutting off those who ate the yeast. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. Nothing. And whoever eats anything with yeast, in it must be cut off from the community of Israel, whether he is alien or native-born. Hectic. Are you prepared to be obedient? If God says, cut it off right now, will you just say, yes, God? As opposed to excusing it, making reasons why. It could be something as simple as just watching too much Netflix or something. Where it's just, your life's just aimless. It's just going nowhere. You're giving the, God the bare minimum where God wants his people sold out for him. Remove the yeast. Now, yeast was, uh, was pa- apparently sort of, dis- sort of invented by the, by the Egyptians. It was part of Egyptian cultures. That's why you're saying no yeast, because that was a connection to the Egyptian culture. As I said, Egypt has always been a picture of coming out of the world. It's always been a picture of the world. When I got born again i just came in boots and all way. jesus was my everything i sold everything i had to go to bible college for a year I t- everything i had I destroyed all my music i literally i got saved in 26 of october 1980 i literally switched off the radio i loved music I'd, i missed all the 80s music i don't know if it was a good or a bad thing um but i literally i love i love music i'm passionate i mean my music was black sabbath and parent song and uh deep purple all these good names you know grand funk you know um and I love music. Music is powerful, eh? I mean, Satan was head of music in eternity. That's why he hates worship better often. Demons start manifesting when we're worshiping God. Music is very, very powerful. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you listen to. It'll shape you, in, it's insidious. It'll, it'll change you, it'll influence you. And then um, in uh, thirteen, chapter 13. When, it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though there was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert and towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt, armed for battle. They were armed, but God said, no, this way is too dangerous for you guys. I'm, I'm, that's, how, that's how God protects us, eh? He realized they were vulnerable at that point, and we've got to, even watching out for each other, we've got to watch out in terms of how vulnerable are we when we pastor and counsel one another, because sometimes you can ask someone to do something that they're not ready for. They're armed with, I mean, when the minute you get born again, you are filled with the Spirit, you are, you are fully Christian. You've got everything at your disposal, and you're ready for battle, it says. They were ready for battle, but they weren't ready for that battle. God had to lead them around. Sometimes God will lead you around. He says, no, that's not being led in the spirit. Pick your battles. Be wise and, and weigh in what battles you fight. As a church, we, you know, we sometimes get criticized for certain things, especially when like it comes to politics and that. And you watch on social media. I read social media and just to get the gauge of what's out there. And God will say, where's the church's voice in this matter? Man, if we were to pick every single political battle, we would have, we would have to give up church and just go and be politicians. Yeah, you know, Christians can be politicians. Politician, that's fine. But that's what the church is not called. We're, Jesus didn't engage in, this, in the things of this world. Even the uh, Bible says, um, don't engage in worldly affairs, um, um, the battles of this world. We're called to another battle. We're in a spiritual battle. We're called to spiritual warfare. So we're, got to, we're called to build the kingdom of God. Jesus did not involve himself in politics. They tried to get him involved, and he steered well clear of it. He's there to build the kingdom of God love to talk more about that no time Uh, don't waver 14 verse 10 to 14 as pharaoh approached the Israelites, the israelites looked up and there were the egyptians marching after them they were terrified and cried out to the lord they said to moses was it because there was no graves in egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die what have you done to us by bringing us out of egypt Twelve and didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And he gives a tactic there of what they must do in this battle, this situation, Be still. Other times, he sends them in as an army. There were other stories of kings leading, going to battle, and it was an actual physical army that destroyed. And, but this battle, he said, no, just be still. God will have fight for you. And God did. You know, God didn't want the Israel to have kings. They demanded a king. We want to be like the world. They said, they've got kings. Give us a king. God reluctantly gave them Saul, and he warned them. You want Saul? It's not going to be good for you, and it wasn't good for them. They only had three kings that, that had unified Israel, then it broke up into different kingdoms, um, you wanted a theocracy where God, God protects and leads his people but God does raise up leaders as we See, Um don't waver you, there's going to be times in your battle when you're fighting and you're going to want to give up and Ephesians 6 it says having done all to stand stand, just stand like sometimes we don't know the way forward we don't have all the answers but we just stand because God says stand, be still and know I am God He's going to fight for us. And then 14, verse 15, he says, keep moving. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. So times when leaders have to lead God's people and say, okay, don't stop here. And many times when we've led God's people, led the church. We have to keep the church moving, keep it going forward. And because the church sometimes wants us to camp here. They want to say, okay, but they, they, you can see that The people of God, they got stuck and they were starting to panic. And good leadership will have to tell the guys, "Calm down. We're going forward. We're going. It's going to be all right. God has spoken." Um, And then verse nineteen to twenty says, "Know that God has." uh, Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. How many times has God protected you? you sitting here today thinking, oh, you know, that just happened, this happened. But how many times has God sometimes gone and just stood between you and a situation you don't even know about it? Because God is protecting you. you. You know, we don't realize how much God looks after us and how much he protects us. So understand that even now we're spirit beings having a temporary physical experience, a bodily experience. But we are spirit beings and we've got the spirit of God surround us. There's angels around us right now. And we know as a church we don't go big into angels and stuff. We, We went to a bit of a false teaching years ago in our previous church where people were commanding angels to do stuff and things like that. But that's not what we're called to do. There are angels around us who are protecting us, who are keeping us safe because the battle belongs to the Lord. We're not called, we're called to fight, but on his way, in his terms. The battle belongs to God. And then 24 and 25. uh, During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and clouded at the the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. God will do that. And I've seen in my business life, when I had a business uh, where God fought for me, where the guys had problems with a business neighbor, uh, to the point where I I almost hit the guy, but I was was younger, more volatile. And um, I went back to my office, said, Lord, deal with the situation, you know. And I'm not exaggerating, they got wiped out as a business from that moment on. They They lasted one more month, and they were gone. I was actually quite shocked at how God moved upon them. That just, it was like a supernatural thing, the way it all happened. And I, I just realized, I'm, you touch me and you're touching God. If I'm in His will, if I'm abiding in Christ, if I'm out of His will, I'm, I, I you know, feel sorry for me. But if I'm in God, you must know that you can go into battle. Whenever I, you know, I've had to deal a lot with situations and work situations, with labor and things like that, and I never went into battle unless I knew that I was, I was doing the right thing. I was in the right place. I was in order. Um, and same in the kingdom. I, I I'll know, I'll want to know I'm going to battle, knowing I'm in God. I'm on his side. Not he's on my side, but I'm on his side. Lord, I'm, am I on your will? Is your hand upon me right now? Is this what you want to be done? Therefore, I can go into that battle with absolute confidence that the demons will submit and tremble at your name. Because wherever I go, wherever I put my foot, Jesus, you are there. One of the things, the passions I have is to awaken the church to who they are in Christ and the power within, not to play around with. I mean, we, we saw a guy once throwing the Holy Spirit at people and they, they, they fell over. He was going, we should just you know, have, have some of the Holy Spirit and people were falling over. Like his he's literally saying, "I'm fl- th- it was silliness. It was, I don't know what it was. But, you know, that's not the power we're looking for. We're looking for transformed lives in God. If, people, if there's upward manifestations, we'll process it as we, come al- as, as we go along. You know, when, when we first experienced what they used to call the Toronto blessing, what other names did it have in the early 90s, where people just start laughing all the time? The elders had to go and search the scriptures. Like, what is this? Like a man would just, he came in and he just stood there and everyone just starts laughing and people, demons manifesting and all sorts of things. Is this God? you know? Like they had to do in the book of Acts. So we will work through these situations as they come along as God fights and deals with things and the last scripture I want to read is right at the end of chapter 14 30 and 31 that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore and when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses his servant isn't it amazing Because Moses led them well. They trusted Moses even with God. Obviously God's way above Moses, but Moses led very well. He kept taking the people forward and uh, stirring them when they started faltering. And the people put their trust in him. And I always, even if we're going to go into battle, we've got to be those who trust the leaders that God's given us. I've learned to trust Andrew over since January 99 when we met him and started walking with him, part of this church. I've learned to trust Andrew Silly. Uh, many years ago i just saw he's such a godly man he loves the lord and he makes good godly decisions not always comfortable ones because he's a good leader he's a very unique leader by the way um not worshiping man you know, putting man on a platform by any means but he's a very prophetic visionary type leader i've, I've been around quite a lot in sin leaders and he's got an edge to him that's that's unusual in god he's not afraid of man he really wants to know what, what God's will is and hear God and, and lead people towards Jesus. So, tonight, I really feel that the Lord wants to impart something. I've asked the guys to do some songs in terms of um, breaking things over us. I think tonight, God wants to do something in His people. He, he's looking for an army who will rise up for this moment, for this hour, and be battle-ready, and be battle-ready, battle armed and equipped for for what the task that lies ahead. Not just be on the parade ground all the time, just shining your buttons and marching up and down and looking smart. But those who are battle-hardened, those, and, and it's, it's gender non-specific. It's, it's, and size has got nothing to do with your physical stature. It's your heart that God wants. So are you those who will say, Lord, here am I. How can I serve you? How can I present yourselves as living sacrifices, the word says? that you present and say, God, let's go into battle now. And I, I, said, I said to Nikki before the meeting started, I, f- I feel like God's going to give you strategies, even if, maybe as you pray, you know, for evangelism, because we want to see the lost come into the kingdom. We'd, I want to see this place packed out, you know, full. Um, they had, a, a, up in Peter Marisburg many years ago, they, they had this one play called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. I don't want to make get the wrong way around. Um, and this play, it's such an anointing on it. It was like an evangelical play and people were pouring and they were climbing through windows the police had to come and help with traffic control it was a god moment where people just flooded into what god was doing in peter marisburg they tried to copy it in other towns it didn't work because it wasn't what god said they must do you can't just copy things so but we can inquire of god say lord where to from here it just starts starts tonight with us saying okay Last, last time we were calling to, to position, but now from position, Lord, I want to go. I want to do. What do I need to do, Lord? Is anything going to break off from of my life? Anything that's stopping me being an effective servant in your hands? Anything. Will you be brutal tonight? Brutal with the things of this world, of the things of Egypt? No yeast. That's what Jesus said. A little bit of yeast works through. Because you might have trivialized and minimized some of the things in your life. Yeast is small. It's only 1%. And you say, oh, it's only 1%. It's nothing. But that 1% is destroying you. It's stopping you being effective in God's hands. And God wants to break that tonight. I really believe that. And worship, I wanna, when we sing, don't just sing songs. Sing from your heart. And say, Lord, let this be a heart song to you. Of a life presented to you. And say, God, I want, show me the way forward now. Show me the way forward. We can't be ever hearing and not doing. We've got to be not doers of the word. First in your own life. So people look at you and say, man, you are fragrance. What are you? What is this God that you know? Deal? Well, I'm I'm leaving it up to the fact they must must let the Lord convict you of what you Jenny's saying. What do you need to deal with? I don't know. Pardon? It could be offenses. It could be anything. It could be habits that you're in things that, that really gripped you, addictions of some sort, uh, it could be unforgiveness, that's normally a big one, unforgiveness, you know, it's amazing how many Christians walk in unforgiveness, amazing, you've been forgiven such a, we could do a preaching, every time there'll be people who respond, unforgiveness, unforgiveness, my mom, you know, we try to take a bit of a break now, and it didn't really go so well, my mom had a stroke, she's, she is 90, um, she's in Been had a really good life physically up to now. I led her to the Lord just after I got saved. And so we had to travel to Durban to go and sort her out in hospital and frail care and all that type of thing. And she said, why am I still alive? I want to die, you know. So so we said, mom, maybe you, is anyone you need to forgive? She's actually mentioned there is. And she named some people, 90 years old. Yeah, she's lying on. We don't know how much longer she's got. And just had to clear her heart and her conscience. Of things. So if God highlights, always regularly go to the Lord about unforgiveness and say, Lord, say, anyone. And the good test for it is this can you pray that they'll be in heaven? Because some people are so angry at the perpetrator being raped or something like that or abused. That person in heaven, no, I want to go to hell. You haven't forgiven. Forgive means I would love it if they knew Jesus Christ and I'll be able to see them in eternity and love them. That's true forgiveness. It's hard because Jesus had to do it. But he did it. So let's... All right, can we go worship, guys? Band chaps? You want to say that something? Okay, yes. And as we... Elders, if you can just help me as we're doing worship, if there's anything God... And the prophetic folk, if you guys... Picking up anything that we need to... You know, we're in this together, guys. If there's anything that the Lord's highlighting we need to zone in on, um, in terms of what you need to address tonight in our lives, then let's do that. But we don't want to be navel gazers, those always going round and round looking for things to, for, to confess. But, the, but if there is anything, we've got to do a, a regular cleaning out and sorting out um, so that God can use us. If you just simply haven't presented yourself, then that could be something as well. If you've just been those who've hung back, let others do it. Uh, Maybe tonight you need to repent of that. I've just been slack. It could be it. Okay, let's stand and present our hearts to him.